Great to be with you on this first Sunday of 2024. Pretty wild, hey? 2024. Welcome to everyone in the room and for those of us online. If you haven't met, my name's David. I am one of the pastors here. And guess what? Today, thanks, Lauren. I appreciate the prayer. Uh, today is our final teaching in our series in 1 John. It's the final teaching. We've been in this series since September, and I know some of you are like, finally, we're finished. But uh, I've enjoyed this series. I hope you have as well. And today we come to the final words of John in this letter, in chapter 5, verses 1 to 21. And so I'm going to read the first 13 verses for us, and then we are going to pray, and we'll jump into this final teaching. This is the word of God for us this morning. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves his child as well. This is how we know that we love the children of God, by loving God and carrying out his commands. In fact, this is love for God, to keep his commands. And his commands are not burdensome, for everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world? Only the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. This is the one who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. He did not come by water only, but by water and blood. And it is the Spirit who testifies, because the Spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit, the water, and the blood, and the three are in agreement. We accept human testimony, but God's testimony is greater because it is the testimony of God which he has given about his son. Whoever believes in the son of God accepts this testimony. Whoever does not believe God has made him out to be a liar because they have not believed the testimony God has given about his son. And this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life and this life is in his son. Whoever has the son has life. Whoever does not have the son of God does not have life. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. Father, we thank you for these words. We know they're not just words that are written on a a piece of paper, but they are the very words of God, the words of heaven that you inspired, that you breathed out, and that can teach us about who you are and the life that you have saved us into in Jesus. I pray that in this time, God, you would help us to encounter you and that you would form our thoughts and touch our hearts with the reality of your son, Jesus. And so would you speak now, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I don't know about you, but when you think about 1 John, one of the things that I think about first is that this is a letter that was written by somebody who knew Jesus personally, who spent three years of his life with Jesus. This letter was written with someone who had firsthand experience of the reality of God living in human form on this earth. John, the author, he was one of Jesus' closest friends. He spent three years of his life with Jesus. He was someone who was with Jesus from his baptism to his resurrection and ascension and everything in between. John was there for all of it. He heard Jesus speak with his own ears. He looked on Jesus with his own eyes and he touched the creator of the universe with his own hands. 
John felt the touch of Jesus. He saw Jesus do miracles. He heard Jesus speak with power and authority that no one had ever heard before. He saw him die and come back to life, and he saw him ascend back to heaven. John's experiences of Jesus was as up close and as personable as you can possibly get, and he's using this familiarity with Jesus, this one-of-a-kind, firsthand experience to write a letter to help people who have shaky faith. See, the, the, the people that John's writing to, there are all these churches in this community, they, the world around them and the pressure from this group of people who had been a part of the community but had left and had come back and they were people who were dead set against Jesus and all that he stood for and they were trying to coerce people in the church into their way of living and thinking and believing about God and so all these things had come together and it had caused the people in the churches John is writing to to have questions about what they believed and whether or not they were actually on the right path anymore. This is a community that had shaky faith that needed to be strengthened. And 1 John is about reminding the church of Jesus, reminding people who have believed in him and who followed him what is true. Uh, true of God, true of Jesus and the spirit and who we are, the identity we have because of our belief in Jesus and what it means to follow Jesus and be the community of Jesus called the church amidst the world. John is writing to state what is true and to help the people he's writing to experience that. In these final words, this is what we're seeing John do. He has a lot to say in 21 verses. And we don't have a lot of time, but maybe the most important thing that John says is what he writes in verse 13. He says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. Verse 13 is the why behind this letter. It's the purpose for which John wrote. He states the main reason for why he wrote is to see followers of Jesus, those who have put their faith in Jesus and committed to follow him. He says to see followers of Jesus, be confident, to have certainty that the life of eternity is theirs, that eternal life is theirs, that they possess it. See, John, he wants the church, he wants followers of Jesus to believe without a shadow of a doubt that through Jesus they possess the life of eternity, not someday in the future, but right here and right now in the present. John wants them to have a confident faith that believes in that reality. And so what he does is he comes back time and time again to one phrase or a variation of it. He actually does it 14 times in this letter. He'll say something to this effect, so that you may know. So that you may know. And we said this before, but that word know in the original language means to know, to have knowledge about something and to know it experientially. And so this word, uh, know, in the Greek, it means to have head knowledge and heart knowledge. It brings the two together. It combines head and heart knowledge, belief and experience. John brings these two together to cast a vision for discipleship, for what it looks like to follow Jesus that includes both belief and what you experience because of that belief. Over and over again, he brings these two things together, and the reason he does it is to strengthen shaky faith. 
Now, as a dad, I've got two young boys. I'm trying to do the same thing with our sons. They're five and they're seven, or just about five and seven. And, and my wife and I, we're, they're, they're in the stages where their faith is being formed. And so what we're trying to do is just to partner with God to see their faith formed. And what we want is not just that they would believe the right things, but that they would actually experience it in their hearts and then live from that place. We want both of those things. And so, like, I, I, I want to be annoying with this, with my kids. Like, I want to be so annoying uh, that they just get so tired of me coming back to these truths. Because here's the thing. For something to get into our hearts, it takes repetition. It takes coming back to it over and over again. It takes hearing it over and over Again, why? So it can sink deep down into us. Repetition helps us to believe it, not just in our heads, but in our hearts. And so I will tell our boys almost every single day, I love you and God loves you and nothing will ever change that. You are loved just the way you are. And it's so annoying that the boys, they're like, Dad, don't tell me this anymore. I don't want you to tell me this anymore. I, I, know, I know this, but I'm, I'm starting to get it, I think, because I'm that annoying that they don't want me to tell them anymore. So I'm just going to keep doing it. <laughs> See, repetition can create certainty and it can cause you to start to experience what is true. And it's so John, it's why he comes back to this phrase over and over and why he comes back to what is true so much. He does it so that the people he's writing to will begin to experience for the first time or once again what they believe to be true or had believed to be true at one point and now they're like, do I really believe this? See, confident faith comes when you bring belief and experience together. And so when John writes, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, he's starting with a belief. And specifically, he's starting with a belief in Jesus as the Son of God. It's belief in Jesus as the one who is God and always has been God and always will be God. It's a belief that Jesus is God. And we talked about it at Christmas, that he is the God who left heaven and came to earth. And he took on human form. That he became just like us in every way, as Nadine was talking about. And, and that he showed us what God is like. That when we want to know what God is like, all we have to do is look at Jesus and we see God in human form. And that he came to open up a way for us to know the God of the universe through his life and his death and his resurrection. It's a belief in this God, King Jesus. This is the belief that John has put before us over and over again in his letter and then he comes back to as he gives us the purpose of his letter. And we might be wondering, well, what does belief look like? Well, I've already told you, it's in a person. But in 1 John, it means three things. Believe that Jesus is the Christ that Jesus has come in the flesh and that he's God and he's the savior of the world. It means believing in those three things, that when we think about the historical person of Jesus of Nazareth, that he was not just a normal person, he was God in human form, fully God, fully human at the exact same time in a great mystery, that this actually happened in history, that God became like us and lived among us and that through his life, death, and resurrection, anyone, anyone, who wants it, can be forgiven of their sin and be made renewed and resurrected into a life with God both now and forever. Believe this, John says. And you can have certainty that you have eternal life. So it's a belief. But it's also something that you and I experience because of that belief. And sometimes when we talk about eternal life, 
the, the power and the beauty of this gets lost because when we hear eternal life, most of the time we automatically think of a life of endless duration with God that we'll experience in the future or when we die. We think about a life that continues with God after death. And eternal life is this, and that's a beautiful thing, that hope, there's hope beyond the grave, that death has lost its sting, that it doesn't have the final say. And a life with God in the new heavens and new earth is the inheritance of every single believer in Jesus. But eternal life is also something so much more and so much more beautiful that we often miss it. Eternal life, according to the scriptures, is not just a life of endless duration in the future, but a quality of life now. Now, in the present. Jesus defined eternal life as knowing God. John 17, 3. He says, this is eternal life. It's knowing God and that through this knowing, through this relationship, we actually get to experience endless life. In other words, the very life of God. The very life of God. That through faith in Jesus, God gives us his life. The the third person of the Trinity, God the Holy Spirit, comes and lives inside all those who believe. God gives us his life through faith in Jesus. And because God's life is endless, we get to experience and enjoy endless life. The life of heaven. The life of the age to come. Not just someday in the future, but today. Here and now. From the moment that you believe in Jesus, you can get access and to experience the endless life of God. And that is not just the limitless life in duration, but the quality of life that God has. The moment you trust in Jesus, this life becomes yours. Just think about it. The life of the God of eternity, the life of eternity lives inside you when you follow Jesus. That is wild. And it is a great gift that we receive through faith. And here's the thing. You can't earn this. It's not a prize that you or I can run and attain. You can't manufacture this for yourself. It's not something uh, that we... uh, through our human willpower and strength that we can actually do. You can't attain this life on your own. It's a gift experienced by faith and it's found in Jesus and Jesus alone. We just went through Christmas. What was the best gift you got? Think of all the good gifts that you've ever received of all the Christmases and all the things. I mean, we probably got some pretty cool stuff. Like a new gadget or some new clothes or a new tub to do your weekly cold plunge in. If you don't know what that is, just Google it. See, we can get a lot of great things, but none of these things compare or tops the gift of life with God and his life living in us. So you you can't get this life on your own. It can only be received through faith in Jesus. And I think it is a tragedy that we are being offered a feast, but we so often settle for the snack. God is offering you a feast. But too often, we settle for the snack. This is what the Bible says is what's a word called idolatry. We look to something or someone other than God to give us what only God was intended to give. And so we go around living our lives wanting to find life. There's a, there's a life that we envision, a life that we crave. And we looked in a lot of different places for that. We looked at people, success, relationships, money, power, Sex, the approval of others, our hobbies, being good at something, having a put-together family. 
having a faith that seems really good on the outside, but maybe underneath it all, just because you're doing a bunch of religious stuff, it's not that great. We put a lot of, uh, we put a lot of our identity into those things. And some of those things are good things, but they're not ultimate things that can give you the life you're searching for. They just can't do it. They were not made to do that. And as you chase those things, whatever it is for you, in the process, you are choosing something less than what you've been offered in Jesus. You are settling for a snack or asking a snack to give you a feast. And what John is envisioning is followers of Jesus who believe in him and experience his life, not just in little bits, but in greater and greater bits. And it's not a pipe dream for John. It's not a maybe or a might or something that only a select few get to achieve. For him, it is possible to have a confident faith. It is possible to have your faith strengthened. And it's possible to enjoy the endless life of God both now and in the future. Yet, doesn't it feel like this is just a pipe dream or it's unattainable? Because John seems so certain that it is possible, that we can all achieve it, but is it really? See, I'm not sure what your experience has been like or is like, but I know my experience has been one of shaky faith. See, I've had moments where I read the Bible and I see the kind of life that people have in the Bible. I see the kind of life that Jesus teaches us about. I see the kind of life the early followers of Jesus had. And I look at my life and I'm like, there's something wrong because I don't have a life like that. Like, I'm not seeing building shake because we're praying for boldness. I'm not seeing those things happen and I wonder like what's wrong with me or what's wrong with God that he's not giving me these things that I want or, or sometimes when storms hit your life, like they've hit mine, like when I was abandoned and rejected by the one person who said they would never leave or when we had to wait to see if our firstborn son was going to survive during Catherine's pregnancy and those moments, shake, shaky faith happens. And I remember sitting there in those moments and going, God, where are you? Why are you not showing up? Do your job better, God. If you are who you say you are, why aren't you doing this? See, there are times when our faith gets shaky and shaky faith happens and that is okay. Do you actually believe that? Because sometimes in the church, if we have questions, oh no, we get a little, little skittish. I'm here to say shaky faith is actually okay. It is okay. And here's the reality. No one is going to have strong faith all the time. And if you say you do, you're lying. No one is going to go through life without ever having questions for God. It's just a fact of being human. I love what Meredith Miller says. I read a book called Woven that she wrote. Really good book. She said, God is not simple. Sometimes we act as if God is or should be simple, but it shouldn't be surprising that God is at least as complex as human beings are. But it never fails to catch us by surprise when the God we thought we had a handle on doesn't seem to match up with the God we see in Scripture or that others talk about or that a pastor describes. She goes on to say that as much as we might wish it were different, there's no getting to know God without confronting tensions. So shaky faith happens, and that's okay. It's what you do with it that matters most. And that's why verse 13 is so important. It's so important. I want to read it again. John says this, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have 
eternal life. Notice again, belief and experience are both present. They're present. There's a belief in who Jesus is and the experience of eternal life that comes from believing in him. Here's what this means. That shaky faith gets strengthened by the marriage of belief and experience. It's the combination of the two that can turn shaky faith into strong faith or faith that's in chaos into something that's confident and certain. And of course, it's not going to happen overnight. It's not going to happen in an instant. We can't press a button and in two minutes our faith is going to be strong. This is a process that we have to stay faithful to to continue pressing in. If we keep coming back to God and what he says in the Bible and if we do what he says there, if we stay close to Jesus through prayer, through spending time with him, through living in community, if we learn to practice the pattern of confession and repentance and living by the Spirit's power, we can begin to experience the life of God in greater and greater ways and our faith will grow. Do this, John says, and it becomes possible to live in the way that I have laid out in this letter. And it's interesting because as we come to these last words, John, he's had some central teachings that have kind of filtered their way throughout this entire letter. And when he wraps up this letter, he actually circles back to them to teach them just in different ways, but he comes back to the same ideas to reinforce them. He's like, I want to leave you with these teachings. And there's four of them in in verses 1 to 21. And he starts in verse 1 where he says this, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves his child as well. This is how we know that we love the children of God, by loving God and carrying out his commands. In fact, this is love for God to keep his commands. And his commands are not burdensome. So the teaching is this, is that if we say we love God, then we will show it by how we love one another and by how we do what God says and what he's revealed in his Bible. Or to put it another way, the outcome of your love for God is that you actually become loving to the people around you. You listen to what God says, and then you put what God says into practice in your everyday life. That is how John defines what love for God looks like. Our love for God is reflected in how we live and love others. John taught this in chapter 2, verse 3 to 6 verses 11 to 18 of chapter 3, and pretty much all of chapter 4, his point being that the way of Jesus is one of love and faithfulness to God and what God says. Jesus modeled it. He taught it. He showed us what this way looked like. Ultimately, we went to the cross, and now Jesus is calling his followers and saying, you are to follow in the way of love and faithfulness that I have set for you. And then, John says, Along with love and faithfulness, he says, pursue holiness. Verse 18 of chapter 5. We know that anyone born of God does not continue to sin. Here and in two other places, John teaches that to follow Jesus means you start to become more and more like Jesus. Or as the Bible says, be holy as God is holy. That we are to reflect the God we believe in with our lives John says it this way, walk in the light as God is in the light. It's holiness, godliness. And one of the ways John talks about this is that he talks about our lives and our relationship to sin. And sin is just a Bible word for breaking God's law. It's a word that says you did something 
not doing what God says because your heart desired something more than God. It's, it's not doing what God says is right, good, true, or best because you desired something less than that. That's sin. And twice John says this about our posture towards sin as believers. And hear me, he's talking about habitual, ongoing, unrepentant sin. He's not talking about those little times we stumble or we make a big mistake or whatever like that. But he's talking about ongoing, habitual sin. Verse 1 of chapter 2, I write this to you so that you will not sin. Holiness language. 518, anyone born of God does not continue to sin. Here's the truth. Holiness wages war against sin in your life. It doesn't excuse it. It doesn't tolerate it. It doesn't play around with it, but fights it with the weapons that God has given us. What are those weapons? The truth of God found in the Bible. The spirit of God. The, the one we receive when we believe in Jesus, the power of God that helps us to live the new life that we've been saved into. And then John has said this, and we've come back to it over and over again, and we're hoping it's going to become more normalized here, but confession and repentance are that pattern of bringing to God the ways you have fallen short and saying, God, I have fallen short and I forgive me, I repent, and knowing that as you do, there is an advocate in heaven named Jesus Christ who in your corner for whenever you do fall short, and because of that, because of our advocate, and because of what Jesus has done, and because of the God we have, John says we will be cleansed of all unrighteousness and made more and more holy as we do. John's point is that holiness is the pursuit of every Jesus follower. It is not just for a select few. It's not just for the spiritual elite. It's not just for those in ministry or those of us like myself who are called into full-time vocational pastoral ministry. It's for every single person who follows Jesus. And so the way of Jesus is about love, faithfulness, and holiness, and it's about victory. John says this in verses 4 and 5. For everyone born of God, so everyone that has experienced the new life of God has been born by the Spirit into a life with God, they overcome the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world? Only the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. And so here's the truth. Victory is the story of God's people. Victory is the story of God's people. It's our story because at the cross and the resurrection, Jesus broke the power of evil and darkness at those places. And through our faith in him, the victory he won becomes ours. And so now you and I, we don't walk to victory. We're actually walking from victory that was accomplished in an empty tomb and a cross outside Jerusalem. The victory of Jesus becomes ours when we put our faith in him. And so the influences and powers that John references here of the world that try to draw us away from God, they don't get to win. They don't get to win. They don't get the final say. Jesus' victory gets the final say over his people's life. And that victory will carry us to the very end when we go home to be with Jesus or Jesus comes back and makes this old world new. Now, one more Prayer is meant to be powerful. Prayer is meant to be powerful. Verse 14. This is the confidence we have in approaching God. That if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we asked of him. That's an astonishing claim that John just made. He's saying, 
here and in chapter 3 when he talked about this, that when we are in a relationship with God, when we have a heart at rest before him, when we know who we are and whose we are because of Jesus and our faith, when we pray in line with God's purposes and his desires, we can ask anything, anything of God, and not only will he hear us, but he will actually give us what we ask for. It's an astonishing claim that we can ask anything of God when those things are in place, relationship with God, our hearts are at rest, and we pray in line with his will and desires, he'll not just hear us, he'll answer. The images of a child approaching a parent with the boldness to ask anything they want. Like our boys, I've already talked about them in this series and today, but they have no hesitation in coming up to us and asking for whatever they want. It could be a new game. It could be more food. They probably could have just eaten everything in the cupboard, and they would come ask for more food. It could be something that they want or something that they hope for. They don't care how much they've already asked or how much they already have or even how outrageous the ask is. They come and ask for what they want because they believe that we can actually give it to them. But like God, if we gave them everything they wanted, we'd go broke. We would. We wouldn't have any money. But they still come and ask with boldness. See, this is the kind of prayer that we can have with God when when we have a desire for his desires and our hearts at rest. We can pray bold, confident prayers that can move heaven and earth. I love what N.T. Wright said about this. He says, those who believe in Jesus, who abide in God, can pray with a new bold confidence. They stand at the place where heaven and earth meet and are encouraged to draw down the blessings of heaven into the life of earth and to know as they make their request that they have already been granted. Even though, as scripture itself and Christian experience both teach, they may be granted in ways one had not expected. I love that. When you are in relationship with God and you're praying, you're standing at an intersection of heaven and earth. And when you pray according to God's desires, you can call heaven down to earth with your prayers. Prayer is meant to be powerful and it becomes so when we're right with God and when our hearts are at rest and we pray according to his desires. Those four things is a vision for discipleship that John has cast in this series. It's a vision of love and faithfulness and holiness. It's a vision for powerful prayer and people walking in victory together. This is what it means to be a disciple. According to John, you enter into this way of life through, through faith in Jesus. That's belief. And then you live this way of life from that point on with the help of God. That's experience. Now that last phrase, with God's help, is, is important. See, we often try to live this life in our own strength. Seeing it as something that we do or don't do. But if you try to do this life in your own ability, your own strength, or your, your own willpower, any success or growth that you're going to have is going to be short-lived and minimal. It is. You can't, you can't live into this. You can't pursue holiness or faithfulness, bold faith that takes God at his word and step out in faith if you don't have something more than just your willpower working in you. 
See, a certain kind of life John is going to teach us and has taught us must live in you if you want to live this way of Jesus out. And as much as John is concerned with right belief in this letter and believing in the reality of Jesus, who he is, what he did, and the event of his coming, one of his great concerns is that we would actually know the one we believe in and experience his life. In John 1 John 5.20, he says, I want you to know him who is true. I want you to know him who is true. Not just in a theory or in a way that has been passed down to you from your parents or grandparents, and not just in an intellectual way where you believe all the right things, but John is after a personal and an experiential, ongoing life with Jesus. And the question is, how do you enter into this kind of life with God? How do you experience this kind of life where you actually know God and then you experience his life? Well, John says it happens by believing in the testimony of God. And that's the starting place. That through the water and the blood and the spirit, God has actually done something that has given testimony about what he has done in his son. That he has given us evidence that we can actually build our lives on that can stir up faith and help us to believe and experience the life of God. And so the water that John talks about, he's referring to the baptism of Jesus when Jesus was baptized. And that was the beginning of his three-year ministry that ended up culminating when he said, it is finished at the cross, which is what the blood refers to. And then he adds the spirit and says that when you believe, the spirit of Jesus is given to you. And all three of those things come together to testify that Jesus did come, that he did live on earth as a human, that he was baptized, that he did live a perfect life, that he never sinned once, that he died and rose again for our good, and that when we believe in this, when you believe in this testimony, John says, guess what happens? You will experience the life of God both now and forever. You will experience the life of God both now and forever. What is true will become real in your experience of God and of life. And so here's the thing, if you want this life if you want a relationship with God, if you want a hope that suffering can't steal from you, if you want a joy that lasts even in hardship, if you long to experience something more and deeper than just showing up on a Sunday and doing a bunch of good things during the week, if you want something uh, that will bring you into a cause that is as big as this world, then John and I will say, believe in Jesus and receive the life of eternity and then walk in that. Let his life, the life of God, come and live in you and change you to become more and more like Jesus. This is the good news for you and for me and for the world today is that God has given us life and this life is in his son. This life is in his son. And today, as we take communion together, we're reminded of that. We're reminded of the realities that we've been talking about in this series, to be reminded of the realities that we have talked about today and we get to enter into them again in a tangible way for the first time or once again. And so if you need the elements, maybe just raise your hand. The host will be able to bring those to you. I almost forgot and I had to run out on the last song. And so I'm thankful for our team that uh, takes care of us and makes sure that everyone has the elements to participate but communion is this reminder that Jesus came, that God lived on earth as a human, and that he did die and rise again for you and for me and for the world on a day in history. That he did that to destroy the devil's work. 
that Jesus did that to bring us from death to life, to bring us from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of the sun, to bring us from a life apart from God to a life with God. He, he did that to give us eternal life in the future and an experience of eternal life in the present. He did it to set all of history on a trajectory to a new heavens and a new earth where this old world will be made new. This is what we celebrate as we take communion together. And this wafer of pretend bread and this juice is not magical, but it is a tangible reminder of the body and the blood of Jesus that was given to you so that you could experience the life of God. And so if you believe in Jesus today, let this be a reminder of what you've been given. Let it call you back into the realities of the one who gave his life for you and lives inside you through the spirit. Remember that you have been given Jesus and the very life of God. May it encourage you to continue going deeper and deeper into this life you've been given. And if you don't believe in Jesus yet, what I want you to hear is that God is offering you this life in his son. That you're, you're the reason why Jesus came. The Bible says that God doesn't want anyone to perish or spend any time apart from him, that God actually came so that you could have a relationship with him. And so today, God is offering you endless life in Jesus, and all you have to do is believe in him, and that life is yours both now and forever. You don't have to clean yourself up. You don't have all the answers. You don't need to have all the answers. You don't have to have your stuff in order. Just believe, because belief is the gateway to experiencing the very life of God. And so we're going to take communion together today. I'm going to read from uh, something, one of the apostles who followed Jesus and, and wrote a lot of the New Testament of the Bible wrote. His name's Paul. And he says this, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's eat the bread together. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread... And drink this cup, you will proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's drink together. Father, we thank you for this moment of reminder that you've just given us in, the, in communion. Thank you for the reminder of the body that was given to us, the body that bore our scars, that took the weight of our sin upon himself, even though he was innocent. Thank you for the reminder of the blood that was shed to cover us, to win the forgiveness of sin. Thank you for the victory that we get to walk in. Thank you that because of Jesus, we are now holy and blameless in the sight of God through our faith in him. Thank you that we can talk to you. Thank you that we can be loved by you and love others in return. And thank you that you have revealed your heart to us, that you have not kept it hidden and that you have spoken to us in your word and that you give us the power of the spirit to actually go and live it out. And so, Father, we thank you for 
this moment. We thank you for the beautiful realities that we have entered into in this series in 1 John. I pray that Holy Spirit, you would lift our eyes and stir our, uh, our affections for Jesus. That who he is and what he's done would become the foundation of our lives. The love that God has, has for us would become the foundation of our lives and that we would grow to become more like him and that this would be a community that honors and glorifies and puts Jesus above everything and that we would be a community that lives in the way of Jesus together amidst the world, showing the world something of who our God is. So lead us in this, Father, Son, and Spirit. We worship you and thank you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So I'd like to invite the prayer teams up, and, and as we respond in worship, I just wanted to put a few things before you. Hey, if you're here and you have shaky faith, Bring that to God in prayer. Let him know, and he is going to meet you in that place and begin the process of working in your life. If you're walking through a tough time right now and you just need someone to listen, you're struggling with health issues or whatever that might be, relationship issues, you need strength to continue to go on, you can come and pray. Maybe you want to recommit to walking with Jesus, to living the life you've been saved into. Maybe today you want to know Jesus for the very first time and you, you don't know how to begin, come and pray. And maybe today you just want a fresh feeling of the Holy Spirit. Like you want to be empowered to walk with Jesus and live this life that we've been saved into. Come and pray. Whatever it is, wherever you're at, you can come to pray. And we just want you to remember that it is possible to have confident faith when you walk with Jesus. And it is possible to experience the life of God. May you walk in that hope as we respond.